Well, good morning. Um, as Judy said, my name is Reagan Gillen, and I'm the other half of Scott, and uh, I'm one of the other associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and together we uh, get to pastor Thrive. And so I am excited to uh, preach um, this message um, in our series, United We Love, and I, I have to tell you that, um, so I don't preach as often as Scott does, and so I have a lot of, lot of time to, to work on my messages, which are like, well, they should be good then, if you have all that time. Um, <laughs> But often, you know, I see the scripture I'm going to have to preach on, and so I know, like, immediately, I know what I'm going to say. I know what, I already know what God is telling me to say. And then I start reading it, and I end up kind of with a different message. But I also still feel like I really want to say that other thing. So today, I feel like we have two messages in one, um, which you're like, oh gosh, but uh Thing is, I'm still going to be a lot shorter than Scott because I'm better. Um, and so we'll see how it goes. I'm also on Tylenol with codeine, so we're going to have fun this morning for my back. Um, but so today we are just letting it all roll today. Uh, so today we're looking at this story that's found in a couple different gospels, and it's about a centurion who has his servant healed uh, by Jesus. And so I first wanted to start off with a picture of a centurion, um, so that's accurate. You guys can laugh or not, it's fine. <laughs> My jokes didn't work in 815 either. So um, so centurion uh, were uh, soldiers, obviously. They were under the rule of Herod or uh, of Rome, and they were very powerful. They had a lot of authority, um, their name, centurion, so they were in charge of a hundred um, men. And they were tough, and much was expected of them. And they were known for, billing, for being killing machines. They had swords that were 18 to 24 inches long, double-sided, and they, they were swords that weren't just for wounds, they were for killing people. And so um, they were at the front lines of war. If, uh, if there's any suspicion, suspicion that they were a coward, they were executed immediately. So they had to learn to be really bold, um, really big, um, and just kind of mean-spirited. And so centurions uh, were Gentiles, um, so they were the other in the biblical story. They were kind of seen as almost an enemy. And so with that, I want to hear today's scripture, and I've actually invited Carol um, to come read our scripture from um, the Gospel of Luke. Luke 1 through 10, or excuse me, Luke 7, 1 through 10. When Jesus finished saying this to all the people, he returned to Capernaum. At the time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said. For, the lo- for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived to, at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. For I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. 
I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. All right, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. So centurions, when people first heard this story, or first knew about Jesus and the centurion, they probably thought, this is not the kind of person who deserves even a moment of Jesus' attention. I mean, the centurion is, is clearly wrong on the other side, someone not deserving. Why would Jesus even listen? I mean, I just told you a little bit about centurions, what they're known for, how they were behaved. They represented evil to the Jewish people. Centurions were oppressors. But this is at first glance. So what I told you about centurions is just about centurions in general, not necessarily about this particular one. So I want to go back in and look a little bit deeper at this story. So verse 3 says, it says, um, he sent some elders of the Jews to talk to Jesus. So when I first read this, kind of my first reaction, again, knowing kind of centurions, their position and all that, I thought, gosh, this guy thinks he's pretty important. He, he sends other people on his behalf. I mean, if he really loved his servant, if he's so just sick about his servant, don't you think he would be running through town, knocking on every door, asking anyone, can you please help me? Can you please help? Do you know anyone that can, that can save my servant? And yet he sends people for him? Oh my gosh, what a jerk. He doesn't have the time or the care to pause. I mean, this dude isn't like Beyonce. I mean, he's not that big of a deal. Thank you for laughing. 8.15, right over their heads. Um, but I'm thinking, gosh, Centurion, you're, again, you're, you're not that big of a deal. But when I read a little bit deeper, when I researched a little bit more, Actually, sending these elders to the local synagogue was really a testament to his character because Jesus was Jewish, and this centurion had a lot of respect for Jewish leaders. And in fact, these Jewish leaders really loved this centurion, which is not normal. If you, re- if you listened, he helped build the synagogue, and so he had good relationships. And the Jewish leader said, if anyone deserves, it's this guy. They wanted to vouch for this guy. Makes me think, gosh, don't they know who he is? Don't these Jewish leaders know that he was this barbaric, probably egomanic, someone that probably killed a lot of people that didn't necessarily share their faith? But he did. And so I started thinking, you know, I often find that I want to accuse and point out all the bad things about a person just by knowing one thing. In this story, he's a centurion, so I know, oh, I know what those people are like. They're evil. They're evil people. And so my first point is that we assume we know people. Because again, the centurion, they were known for being vindictive, power-hungry, faithless, not humble, not faithful, not loving. 
And so how often have we made a blanket statement for a certain type of person or some people group? Here's a few things I thought of this week where I've been guilty. You're a CFO or a CEO. I know you must not care about the intern or the person who gets your coffee. Oh, I looked up where you live. I know your zip code. I know what you're all about. Or you vote that way. You align yourself with that party. You must not like babies. You don't like poor people. Or you don't like rich people. Or you don't like welfare. You don't like LGBTQ people. Or maybe you read a story about a criminal from a certain country and you think, oh, I know that country. They're for, they are full of deplorable people. You're gay. You must go relationship to relationship. You're white and straight. You have never experienced hardship. You're into politics. You're only about your own interests and you are power hungry. You're a lawyer. You're slimy. You post about working out. You're just about what you look like. I mean, the list could go on and on. We, you know, we've all been there. We've made up our mind about someone or some group without facts, without time being spent with that person, and not knowing the whole story. We are so incredibly judgmental and so incredibly unforgiving. But when we look at Christ, he always looks deeper, doesn't he? He always looks deeper. He looks into people's hearts. He knows the status, the state of their hearts. He doesn't allow one bad experience with one person due to dictate his opinion or belief about someone similar. Some of us may have a one-strike rule, one mistake, and as the great Tom Haverford from Parks and Recreation says, you're donezo. So we do that. But how is that Christ-like? Taking one glance, meeting one person, having one bad experience, and then making up your mind for all of time. It just doesn't seem right. I know it takes time and investment, people, and it's just so much easier to just judge people and move on. Make up your mind. Why waste time? Why risk getting hurt? Why risk maybe being wrong? But there's something about Jesus and the way that he treats us that compels us, or at least it should, is to slow down and maybe look at someone different. To sometimes give second chances, to forgive, to give grace, to learn their story, and to not assume. I wish we had the ability to look at someone's heart immediately like Christ, but we don't. But I think we are called to this hard work to look at people that are radically different than us, and often people that maybe we've deemed an enemy or an oppressor and try to look deeper. Let's keep moving. My second point, just because you're in power doesn't mean you can railroad over people. I also said, break them over the coals, be a jerk, talk down to them, disregard, you know, the list goes on. Just because you have power doesn't mean you can forget about people See, this position as a centurion, again, and he even says in the scripture, you know, he says, I say go and they go, and I say do and they do. He called out things that happened. That kind of power and authority could easily go to someone's head and it'd be easy to forget those who are at the bottom, but he doesn't because here he is fighting for his servant's life. He hasn't forgotten that person. 
I don't know what kind of position you hold, but I know that Jesus was very clear about who to care for, who we must not forget. We need to care for children and orphans and widows, the poor, those who are weak, refugees, immigrants, addicts, those in prison, all those marginalized. We need to care about them. Again, uh, when the centurion sends the Jewish leaders and he um, says, you know, don't come, he hasn't forgotten um, the Jewish people. He hasn't forgotten their customs. Again, even though the centurion technically has more authority and more power, he knows that if um, a Jewish person comes to a Gentile's house, can be unclean or can defile them. And so it was out of respect, not as a way to avoid or say, don't come because I don't have time for you or to avoid interaction. It's because the centurion had this respect and understanding for the Jewish people. I love this about this centurion. It was a reminder to me to be sensitive to cultures and customs, even my use of language, things I say. So I could be you know, so I can remind myself to be more inclusive and not accidentally say something or do something that could potentially be racist or xenophobic or simply just careless. I appreciate that this particular centurion doesn't demand people to adapt to his way, even though he easily could have. In fact, we see him adapting to their customs and beliefs out of respect and out of love. I got to thinking that we, you and me, as we gain power or status and wealth, that we can be oppressors when we don't think of people who are different than us. When we continue to climb the ladder, be bigger and better, we can squash people that don't have our privilege, our luck, our same religion, our same skin color, same sexuality, same citizenship. And Jesus continually challenges us to think of the other. That's why so much hangs on love God and love your neighbor. There's this challenge to love our neighbors with different political views, different religions, and different opinions. We're called to learn about them, ask questions, spend time with them. And my goodness, no matter where we are or who we become, we should never forget those people at the the bottom, whatever you think that is or whatever we think the world deems them. Don't forget the person that is just starting out in this country. Don't forget about someone who doesn't live in your neighborhood or that person in rural Alabama that you will never meet or the intern or the child with special needs, the elderly, the poor. We should never forget others. I think our world is in desperate need of leaders that don't think too highly of themselves, which brings me to my last point. Remember that you are worthy and not worthy. I love what the centurion says. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Here's this man, again, of great importance in leadership and power, and yet he feels unworthy to this Jesus guy, this Jew, who was homeless, he had no name. He came from Nazareth. There's no, I mean, nothing great comes out of Nazareth. That's a, talks about it in scripture. And if they were to pull people at that time, you know, they'd put Jesus and the centurion and they'd say, okay, who has more power? Who has more authority? Everyone would say the centurion does. And yet the centurion thinks, I, 
I know who this Jesus guy is, and I am not worthy. He has a belief and faith that even Jesus recognizes, which he says, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. See, what I really love about this centurion, about this man, is that he recognizes his shortcomings, his sin, and how he's really unworthy. This message that lives in tension as as Christians is that we are worthy. We're so worthy. Every single person in this room is worthy and deeply, deeply loved by our Creator. And yet, we are completely unworthy and not deserving of the love of God. I think there's something so powerful in this story and a reminder to us that we should both know our worth and our unworth. We don't deserve the love and grace and forgiveness and freedom that Christ offers. We don't because we are sinners. He died for us even before we could believe or confess or change our ways. Our liturgy says he died while we were yet sinners, but he did it because we are worth it. And I believe we have to have both beliefs that, yes, we're worth it and we're unworthy. Because I think when you have both, there's this beautiful intersection of belief and thankfulness and gratitude. You know, when I, I thought about, gosh, what would it look like if leaders especially those in power or wealth with influence, carry this message that, gosh, I, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, and yet I'm so grateful for what I have. How would it change the world if people walked around having both of those? I don't know. I think there's something in knowing that we don't deserve this gift and also that we are beloved. I want to close today with some good and yet not so good news. Centurions, again, were not great people. They did evil things. They were oppressors and they were people. And we know other oppressors from history books. And we see oppressors now. Maybe there's someone that comes to mind. But did you know that you and me are sometimes oppressors? And I want you to forget all the nice things about this I said about Centurion. Maybe he was a jerk. He was just tricking everybody. But um, Jesus still died for him, even knowing all the things he did in the past. And he died for other centurions who had no faith and had no change of heart. Jesus died for both the oppressed and the oppressor. He was and is an advocate for the oppressed to be lifted up and to be set free And he desires redemption for the oppressors that they might find humility and grace in the gospel, just like this centurion. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't just see the face of his faithful disciples or his mother whom he loved. He just didn't see people like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or whoever you hold in really high esteem. He didn't just see those faces. He saw Herod, who tried to kill him as a kid. He saw the people that put the nails in his arms and in his feet. He saw every dictator, every mass murder. He saw abusers. He saw the racist, the misogynist, the homophobe. And he saw us on our worst day, 
when we've looked more like an oppressor than we'd like to admit. And he died for us all. And that's the hard truth. As Nadia Bolt-Weber says, it's the worst good news. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying you have to reconcile with the people who have harmed you, your oppressors. Sometimes the healthiest thing we can do is to move forward without someone in our lives. But what I am saying is that Jesus came to redeem their brokenness as well, just like he came to redeem your brokenness. Even if we'd rather some people be beyond the love of God. It may be right for them to be removed from you, but they are not removed from God's love. Friends, I'm so glad that Jesus didn't pick and choose who he died for. I'm so thankful he doesn't pick and choose who he loves. I think he wanted to unite us in love even with all of our fault, even with all of our sin. I think often we forget we're all more alike than unalike, as much as we don't want to admit to that. And I pray as a community of believers that claim the name of Christ, we could be people that love more, forgive more, serve more, help transform more, share the good news more. Because if we do that, maybe there'll be less oppressors and then therefore less oppressed. There's this poem by uh, Maya Angelou called Human Family that I want to read. I note the obvious differences in the human family. Some of us are serious, some thrive on comedy. Some declare their lives are lived as true profundity, and others claim they really live the real reality. The variety of our skin tones can confuse, bemuse, delight, brown and pink and beige and purple, tan and blue and white. I've sailed upon the seven seas and stopped in every land, I've seen the wonders of the world, not yet one common man. I know 10,000 women called Jane and Mary Jane, but I have not seen any two who really were the same. Mere twins are different, although their features jibe, and lovers think quite different thoughts while lying side by side. We love and lose in China, we weep on England's moors, and laugh and moan in Guinea, and thrive on Spanish shores. We seek success in Finland, are born and die in Maine. In minor ways we differ, in major we're the same. I note the obvious differences between each sort and type, but we are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. We are more alike, my friends, than we are unalike. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that you are an evil oppressor. But my Angela was right. The more people I meet in my life, as different and rich as our diversity is, the human experience is a shared one. We're more alike than not. We all know the pain of being pushed out, set aside, cast down, forgotten, and yet we're also responsible for someone else's pain, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And the good news is, even if it's hard to take it in, is that Jesus didn't just come for the best of us or on our best day. Jesus came for us all, the worst of us and the worst we have to offer.
Friends, praise God we serve a Christ who came to set us free. Whether oppressed or the oppressor. So that we might have life more abundantly. And find in one another brothers and sisters of one family of faith. And united in love. Let us pray. God, thank you for this story of the centurion that reminds us that, one, people can change. People can be truly transformed by your love. May it remind us to give second chances to people, to forgive, to not assume, to not judge, and to forgive. May it also convict us and remind us that we have a role to play in making sure we lift people up, that we love people different than us, that we don't forget people. Because you see everyone, you don't forget a single person. You love them and you created them. And they have your image. Help us to become more Christ-like. May we take time to love. May we take time to hear stories. May we also be changed ourselves in the process. Again, thank you for dying for us when we did not deserve it. And at the same time, always telling us that we are beloved and chosen. It's in your name.